A young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. The COP28 has concluded in Dubai, where global leaders and policymakers gathered, calling for stronger and faster climate actions. On the sidelines of the conference, Wang Guan sat down with Bolivian Vice President David Choquehuanca. He told us the wisdom of the indigenous people to protect biodiversity and restore harmony between man and nature. As representative of Bolivia, a very important country in Latin America, what would be your message on the urgency to fight climate change? And how is Bolivia suffering from a change in climate? Mira, los pobres, los países menos desarrollados, Poor people and the least developed countries are the victims of the crisis caused by capitalism. It is often the most vulnerable who suffer the consequences and carry the burden of the evils created by the developed countries. However, fortunately, the indigenous people of Bolivia have never integrated into this unbalanced world. The indigenous peoples of Bolivia, who are in the majority, have never succumbed to the divided world. Those who create division have not been able to separate us from nature. In Bolivia, we hope to stay close to the Inca goddess, Pacamama, also known Mother Earth. We draw on the wisdom of our ancestors. We must reject egocentrism and anthropocentrism. Both egocentrism and anthropocentrism have caused harm to humanity. We must think of all life forms on our planet. Therefore, we must protect not only humans, but also water sources, rivers, mountains and forests, because we are the forests, we are the walking mountains, we are the jaguars. You talk about the indigenous people and the Native Americans, uh, that reminded me of a very important issue, that is climate justice, right? The developing countries and developed countries, uh, they didn't contribute the same way to the climate change, um, arguably, the industrialized countries contributed um, to a larger share to today's existing problems. Um, and also, when you think about the climate financing, there's something between 200 million to 400 million shortage for developing countries to build resilience. Uh, what's your understanding on this issue of climate justice for countries and societies um, in Bolivia, including the indigenous communities? This is a legacy debt. It is not only a debt owed by the developed countries to the less developed countries or developing countries, but also a debt owed to nature, to the planet. When people talking about justice, they only talk about that for human beings. So, instead of talking about justice, we are talking about balance. Humans have created imbalances, imbalances between poor countries and rich countries, between human and nature. Today, we live in a world that is out of balance, that is disorganized, that is chaotic. We live in chaos. We need to restore order 
things must return to their rightful places. We need to rebuild harmony and maintain balance at all times. There is injustice between regions, between countries, between the poor and the rich, and the earth has been treated unjustly. We must begin to fix all the imbalances that have been created, because we are still in this imbalance. If we continue to be in this state of chaos, we are heading toward destruction. Mr. Vice President, you talk about uh, the Western approaches towards other countries. In fact, uh, the president of a certain country recently, not so long ago, said, and I quote, um, Latin America is not America's backyard, it is America's front yard. You know, when we hear such things, what went through your mind? How do you feel about all this? Ningún país quiere ser patrio trasero de nadie. Ningún país tiene que ser there is no country that wants to be someone else's backyard, nor should any country have to be. We must reclaim our identity. We all have cultural roots to which we belong. Only by recognizing our roots can we be truly free. Those who deny their cultural roots are rude all the time and subjugated all the time. It is very important to find our roots and be proud of our culture, no matter how small our country is. As indigenous people, we have the science, we have the epistemology and we have the methodology. Therefore, we have the science. Science enables us to live in harmony not only with others, but also with nature. Let's talk about the role of China, Mr. Vice President, uh, which is hotly discussed recently. China's role in Latin America, for example. Some call it a neo-colonialist power. How do you feel about it? Mira, eh, se dice mucho en el mundo. Si dicen tantas cosas por las redes sociales, there are a lot of narratives circulating in the world, and a lot of rhetoric on social networks. That's why interpersonal communication is very important. Communication and dialogue are essential. There is an old Bolivian saying about the importance of mutual communication. He says our people need dialogue and communication, but not through social networks where pure lies circulate. We need to give value to dialogue and restore the value of words, because this direct way of communication is important rather than just relying on social networks. Only this kind of communication can discern the messages on social networks that have ulterior motives. If we believe in social networks, we are lost. And how would you compare the Chinese approach versus the Western approach, which you previously touched upon? Um, what are the main differences in terms of their foreign policy um, towards countries such as your own, uh, Bolivia? Our constitution calls for the pursuit of a good life, which is not the same as living a better life. We don't want some people to be better off than others. We seek a good life for all. Our constitution advocates a return to the principles of complementarity, respect, balance, consensus, harmony and peace. The world has long been governed by the geopolitics of domination and subordination. And we can point to some shameful achievements of this geopolitical world, such as wars and famines. 
In the face of this crisis, Bolivia proposes Gaia politics as an alternative to geopolitics. Gaia is the goddess of the Earth who came to save life and Mother Earth. Today, we suffer the consequences of a geopolitical reality characterized by domination and subordination. And what do we get? Chaos and war. We could use the millions spent on wars to save the planet. What do you think of President Xi Jinping and his vision, his policies for China and also the world? Let's put it this way. China is pivotal. China has the potential to become even stronger. China can stop colonialism if it wants to because it's powerful and technologically advanced. China can use its technology and national strength in various fields, such as scientific research. China can leverage its strength to help the poor, to promote equality in the world, to support justice and to prevent war. China has all these strengths. We have seen the Chinese president speak with great resolve. What would be your expectations um, as Vice President to advance these relations? Because we know that when President Evo Morales, the former president, is in power, he's hugely popular in China. He visited China multiple times. And now as uh, you know, a very important uh, person in the current administration, how do you hope to advance these ties further? Mira, tenemos que construir we need to establish a relationship based on mutual respect for each other's sovereignty and build a brotherly friendship. We need to identify the potential of China and Bolivia so that we can take concrete actions to cooperate with each other, showing our people that both countries can work together on many projects and programs. Such collaboration can benefit the people of both countries without affecting the ecology and nature or damaging our environment pero sin afectar la naturaleza, sin destrozar nuestro medio ambiente. Mm -hmm. uh, you talk about complementarity uh, of the two sides uh, in terms of investment and trade. Uh, what are the complementarity that you see uh, between China and Bolivia and the Chinese businesses and companies and the Bolivian consumers and companies? Mira, nosotros somos un país ricos. Bolivia has an abundance of natural resources, such as lithium and rare earth, and we also produce healthy food ingredients. China has a large population and advanced technology, and technology is something we don't have, even though we have natural resources. These are areas where we can explore possibilities for cooperation that will benefit both countries. Finally, anything else you want to say? Um, I want to give a hug to all my brothers and sisters living in China. It's time to build a global brotherhood against the plunderers of nature. It's time to build hope and share our thoughts and our deepest feelings. It's time to open our eyes, open our hearts and defend life. Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the, bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is The Hub. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away, 
Stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, Niu Lang said, Marry me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back, and the dog swam across the broad river. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah. <laughs> Good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favourite podcasts. From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. General Railway Company Hear the difference. Join our global network to connect with the world. Earlier, Wang Guan also talked with Ngozi Okonjo-Iwela, Director General of the WTO. In the face of multiple crises, she shed light on some of the vulnerabilities of the global system and told us how she sees China's role in the green transition worldwide.
How do you see the role of China in this post-pandemic world, especially in terms of helping with global trade and global growth? And in particularly, how do you see China's role within this multilateral trading system? Well, uh, China is probably one of the poster children uh, for the success of the multilateral trading system. Since it joined uh, the World Trade Organization in 2001, China has done phenomenally well. Its per capita income has increased over 12 times. It's now the largest exporter in the world. It's the second largest importer. Uh, so on all counts, China has done extremely well. As, and as everyone says, it's critical to the world economy. So what happens to China? is of consequence not only to people in China, but to everyone around the world. And uh, so we, whatever happens in trade also, uh, China is central to that. That's why we, we think that the multilateral trading system is key. It is not perfect. Um, you know that some people were left behind. Poor people in rich countries may not have benefited. And of course, there are poor countries who did not benefit. And what we're saying now is rather than say, let's throw this system away, let's look at how we can deal with the vulnerabilities we see in the system. We've seen through the pandemic and, and uh, the war in Ukraine that some supply chains are vulnerable. Maybe there's too much concentration of production in certain sectors. We've seen semiconductors, we've seen food, fertilizer and food, for instance. So what we should be asking ourselves is how do we diversify those supply chains? We've also seen rare earths, a, a great deal of concentration in some of these sectors. Let's see how we can build resilience by diversifying supply chains. And we can do it in such a way that we can include those who were left behind. Pharmaceuticals. We saw that during the pandemic, 10 countries in the world export 80% of the vaccines. That didn't work very well because some poor countries were left at the end of the queue. Countries in Africa had to wait for vaccines. So we should think about how do we diversify the pharmaceutical supply chain so that the African continent with 1.4 billion people can also produce some of its vaccines. That will build resilience. Next time there is a pandemic, people don't need to die if we have the technology because we can manufacture quickly. Fertilizers, we see that there's a great dependence on the Black Sea region for grains and for fertilizer, and this is crucial. Well, why don't we try to diversify and see how we can produce more fertilizer all over the world? Uh, that will help us build resilience. Rare earths, there are many places, several places where there are rare earths. We have rare, rare earths in Africa too. We need to figure out how we can produce there without the very polluting uh, processes that are needed, but that will help us diversify supply chains there. So the, the issue is trying to deal with the over-dependence certain, in certain sectors and deconcentrating production and diversify. Not saying that globalization doesn't work or trade doesn't work. That is not true. Actually, you answered uh, part of my next question, which is, um, you know, in light of all the talks and hypes of delinking, deglobalization and de-risking, whatever that means. As an economist and also the chief of the WTO, how do you look at the future of uh, global trade? What would you say to those naysayers who are questioning uh, the benefits and utility of open and fair trade? 
Well, I'll continue from my last point. We think that an open, fair, predictable, multilateral trading system that is stable is what the world still needs. You cannot solve today's global problems without the multilateral trading system. So I think it's, one is deceiving oneself by saying you trade doesn't work or you don't need. Let me just take food. One in five calories consumed in the world is traded. There are many parts of the world that simply cannot produce their own food or can't produce enough for their population. If you say trade doesn't work, how are those people going to feed themselves? Take climate change. We know that climate change is changing the patterns of rain and production and heat. Some places that were bread baskets today, or that are bread baskets today, we can already see changing patterns. They may not have the water in the future to even grow the kinds of crops they're growing. Well, what is going to happen? That may be grown in another part of the world. If you don't have trade, how will you move that food around? So people should just think about what they are saying. The multilateral trading system is instrumental, whether you're dealing with climate change, with the pandemic, with all kinds of problems that the world needs to solve. So we do need it. it again, I will say to people, it's one thing to say there are problems with the system and we should look how we can solve those problems and make them more inclusive. What we are actually advocating at the WTO is something we call re-globalization. And I want everybody to really walk away with that term, re-globalization. We want to reimagine globalization to include those who were left behind, whether it's poor regions in rich countries. Why don't you decentralize production and supply chains to where those people are to include them? Whether it is poor countries that were left behind, Africa has not really been integrated as into the world trading system the way we would like. It has only 3% of world trade. So why can't we think of the opportunity? That is where future labor is going to be. Remember that there's one structural factor in the world now. Emerging markets, some China included, and developed countries are facing a demographic con constraint. They have an aging population. And if you want future productivity increases, you have to look for where the young people are going to be. Africa. Africa is it. So businesses should start thinking, and policymakers, how do we include Africa into the global value chains? Because that is where we'll be able to have the productivity we need. That's re-globalization. Services trade and the digital trade are growing in both proportion and importance. Uh, what are some of the highlights regarding those types of trade that you think are worth sharing with policymakers and our audience? Well, you know, in many economies, services, the services sector is a very large part of GDP. Services trade, I think, is the future. The future of trade is services, I always say, it's green, it's digital, and it should be inclusive. So what do I mean by all that? We see that within services trade, there's a sector of services that is growing at phenomenal rates, which is digitally delivered services. Anything from streaming of movies and videos to education online, to accountancy services, to outsourcing, to internet trade. There's so much happening digitally with an 8% per annum growth rate 
in digitally delivered services trade compared to 5.6% for goods trade. This is where we see the future stripping away. So we think that we need to look at that. That is a green shoot in the world economy. It can help us recover. You saw during the pandemic, so digitally delivered services trade was growing at even double digits, 14% or so per annum. So we need to build on it. At the WTO, what we're doing is saying, well, if this is going to be the future of trade, we need the rules to underpin this trade. Like we have global rules for goods trade, we need rules for digital trade to make sure it's stable, it's predictable, it's transparent and fair. So 90 of our members are negotiating an e-commerce agreement that we hope will provide the basis for stable digital trade for the future. We also need to think of the 2.7 billion people who are not yet on the internet, most of them in poor countries and don't have access to electricity. If we want the future of digitals, digitally delivered services and digital trade to grow, we've got to focus on investing in power, and it can be renewable and green power, and also investing in satellites, the least expensive types of internet connections, so that those people can be brought into services trade. You came from one of the most populous countries in the world, uh, the most populous in Africa, Nigeria, and also you're a developmental economist. How do you compare and contrast and look at China's path to modernization, which is very important to the 1.4 billion people here? China has obviously experimented with a model that is different from the Western mainstream political models, what we call the Chinese path to modernization. Madam Director General, how do you look at the Chinese path to modernization? Well, one very important thing in the Chinese path is the openness to the world. And President Xi keep emphasizing that China will continue to open up and to open to the world. So this is the critical thing. So I think that openness, the liberalization of many sectors in China has contributed to the phenomenal growth that we have seen in China. Of course, China has to continue to be more open, to be more transparent, because that builds trust with the rest of the world. So that kind of openness and transparency is part of the new way China's model is working and China wants to do business. And I strongly want to encourage it because I think the more open China is, the more trust, the more investment will come in. Um, we also need to think about uh, China's model of trying to invest in other countries. And I would strongly encourage, remember what China was trying to do in Ethiopia, trying to encourage the development of certain industries uh, in leather, in textiles in Ethiopia, and Chinese outward direct investment in African countries that creates jobs. That's also well. Dr. Ngozi Okonjo-Iwila says she's a firm believer of re-globalization and supply chains decentralization. In so doing, according to her, more developing countries will be better integrated into the global value chain, providing them with opportunities to leapfrog their development. With that, we come to the end of this edition of the program. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Bye for now.